Section 30 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 30 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Book the Second, Chapter 13. A Solo and a Duet. The wind was blowing so hard when the visitor came out at the shop door into the darkness and dirt of Limehouse Hole that it almost blew him in again. Doors were slamming violently, lamps were flickering or blown out, signs were rocking in their frames, the water of the kennels, wind dispersed, flew about in drops like rain. Indifferent to the weather, and even preferring it to better weather for its clearance of the streets, the man looked about him with a scrutinizing glance. "'Thus much I know,' he murmured. "'I have never been here since that night, and never was here before that night. But thus much I recognize. I wonder which way did we take when we came out of that shop. We turned to the right as I have turned, but I can recall no more. Did we go by this alley, or down that little lane?' He tried both, but both confused him equally, and he came straying back to the same spot. I remember there were poles pushed out of upper windows on which clothes were drying, and I remember a low public house, and the sound flowing down a narrow passage belonging to it of the scraping of a fiddle and the shuffling of feet. But here are all these things in the lane, and here are all these things in the alley, and I have nothing else in my mind but a wall, a dark doorway, a flight of stairs, and a room. He tried a new direction, but made nothing of it. Walls, dark doorways, flights of stairs, and rooms were too abundant. And, like most people so puzzled, he again and again described a circle, and found himself at the point from which he had begun. This is like what I have read in narratives of escape from prison, said he, where the little track of the fugitives in the night always seems to take the shape of a great round world in which they wander, as if it were a secret law. Here he ceased to be the oakum-headed, oakum-whiskered man on whom Miss Pleasant Riderhood had looked, and allowing for his being still wrapped in a nautical overcoat, became as like that same lost-wanted Mr. Julius Handford as never man was like another in this world. In the breast of the coat he stowed the bristling hair and whisker, in a moment, as the favoring wind went with him down a solitary place that it had swept clear of passengers. Yet in that same moment he was the secretary also, Mr. Boffin's secretary. For John Rokesmith, too, was as like that same lost-wanted Mr. Julius Hanford as never man was like another in this world. "'I have no clue to the scene of my death,' said he. Not that it matters now, but having risked discovery by venturing here at all, I should have been glad to track some part of the way. With which singular words he abandoned his search, came up out of Limehouse Hole, and took the way past Limehouse Church. At the great iron gate of the churchyard he stopped and looked in. 
he looked up at the high tower spectrally resisting the wind and he looked round at the white tombstones like enough to the dead in their winding sheets and he counted the nine tolls of the clock bell it is a sensation not experienced by many mortals said he to be looking into a churchyard on a wild windy night and to feel that i no more hold a place among the living than these dead do and even to know that i lie buried somewhere else as they lie buried here nothing uses me to it a spirit that was once a man could hardly feel stranger or lonelier going unrecognized among mankind than i feel but this is the fanciful side of the situation it has a real side so difficult that though i think of it every day i never thoroughly think it out now let me determine to think it out as i walk home i know i evade it as many men perhaps most men do evade thinking their way through their greatest perplexity i will try to pin myself to mine don't evade it john harmon don't evade it think it out when i came to england attracted to the country with which i had none but the most miserable associations by the accounts of my fine inheritance that found me abroad i came back shrinking from my father's money shrinking from my father's memory mistrustful of being forced on a mercenary wife mistrustful of my father's intention in thrusting that marriage on me mistrustful that i was already growing avaricious mistrustful that i was slackening in gratitude to the two dear noble honest friends who had made the only sunlight in my childish life or that of my heartbroken sister i came back timid divided in my mind afraid of myself and everybody here knowing of nothing but wretchedness that my father's wealth had ever brought about now stop and so far think about it john harmon is that so that is exactly so on boarding serving as third mate was george radfoot i knew nothing of him his name first became known to me about a week before we sailed through my being accosted by one of the ship agent's clerks as mr radfoot it was one day when i had gone aboard to look to my preparations and the clerk coming behind me as i stood on deck tapped me on the shoulder and said mr radfoot look here referring to some papers that he had in his hand and my name first became known to radfoot through another clerk within a day or two and while the ship was yet in port coming up behind him tapping him on the shoulder and beginning i beg your pardon mr harmon i believe we were alike in bulk and stature but not otherwise and that we were not strikingly alike even in these respects when we were together and could be compared however a sociable word or two and these mistakes became an easy introduction between us and the weather was hot and he helped me to a cool cabin on deck alongside his own and his first school had been at brussels as mine had been and he had learned french as i had learnt it and he had a little history of himself to relate god only knows how much of it true and how much of it false that had its likeness to mine i had been a seaman too so we got to be confidential together and the more easily yet because he and every one on board had known by general rumour what i was making the voyage to england for by such degrees and means he came to the knowledge of my uneasiness of mind and of its setting at the time in the direction of desiring to see and form some judgment of my allotted wife before she could possibly know me for myself also to try mrs boffin and give her a glad surprise 
so the plot was made out of our getting common sailor's dresses as he was able to guide me about london and throwing ourselves in bella wilfer's neighbourhood and trying to put ourselves in her way and doing whatever chance might favour on the spot and seeing what came of it if nothing came of it i should be no worse off and there would be merely a short delay in presenting myself to lightwood i have all these facts right yes they are all accurately right his advantage in all this was that for a time i was to be lost it might be for a day or for two days but i must be lost sight of on landing or there would be recognition anticipation and failure therefore i disembarked with my valise in my hand as potterson the steward and mr jacob kibble my fellow passenger afterwards remembered and waited for him in the dark by that very limehouse church which is now behind me as i had always shunned the port of london i only knew the church through his pointing out its spire from on board perhaps i might recall if it were any good to try the way by which i went to it alone from the river but how we two went from it to riderhood's shop i don't know any more than i know what turns we took and doubles we made after we left it the way was purposely confused no doubt but let me go on thinking the facts out and avoid confusing them with my speculations whether he took me by a straight way or a crooked way what is that to the purpose now steady john harmon when we stopped at riderhood's and he asked that scoundrel a question or two purporting to refer only to the lodging-houses in which there was accommodation for us had i the least suspicion of him none certainly none until afterwards when i held the clue i think he must have got from riderhood in a paper the drug or whatever it was that afterwards stupefied me but i am far from sure all i felt safe in charging on him to-night was old companionship and villainy between them their undisguised intimacy and the character i now know riderhood to bear made that not at all adventurous but i am not clear about the drug thinking out the circumstances on which i found my suspicion they are only two one i remember his changing a small folded paper from one pocket to another after we came out which he had not touched before two i know riderhood to have been previously taken up for being concerned in the robbery of an unlucky seaman to whom some such poison had been given it is my conviction that we cannot have gone a mile from that shop before we came to the wall the dark doorway the flight of stairs and the room the night was particularly dark and it rained hard as i think the circumstances back i hear the rain splashing on the stone pavement of the passage which was not under cover the room overlooked the river or a dock or a creek and the tide was out being possessed of the time down to that point i know by the hour that it must have been about low water but while the coffee was getting ready i drew back the curtain a dark brown curtain and looking out knew by the kind of reflection below of the few neighbouring lights that they were reflected in tidal mud he had carried under his arm a canvas bag containing a suit of his clothes i had no change of outer clothes with me as i was to buy slops you are very wet mr harmon i can hear him saying and i am quite dry under this good waterproof coat put on these clothes of mine you may find on trying them that they will answer your purpose to-morrow as well as the slops you mean to buy are better while you change i'll hurry the hot coffee 
when he came back i had his clothes on and there was a black man with him wearing a linen jacket like a steward who put the smoking coffee on the table in a tray and never looked at me i am so far literal and exact literal and exact i am certain now i pass to sick and deranged impressions they are so strong that i rely upon them but there are spaces between them that i know nothing about and they are not pervaded by any idea of time i had drank some coffee when to my sense of sight he began to swell immensely and something urged me to rush at him we had a struggle near the door he got from me through my not knowing where to strike in the whirling round of the room and the flashing of flames of fire between us i dropped down lying helpless on the ground i was turned over by a foot i was dragged by the neck into a corner i heard men speak together i was turned over by other feet i saw a figure like myself lying dressed in my clothes on a bed what might have been for anything i knew a silence of days weeks months years was broken by a violent wrestling of men all over the room the figure like myself was assailed and my valise was in its hand i was trodden upon and fallen over i heard a noise of blows and thought it was a woodcutter cutting down a tree i could not have said that my name was john harmon i could not have thought it out i didn't know it but when i heard the blows i thought of the woodcutter and his axe and some dead idea that i was lying in a forest this is still correct still correct with the exception that i cannot possibly express it to myself without using the word i but it was not i there was no such thing as i within my knowledge it was only after a downward slide through something like a tube and then a great noise and a sparkling and crackling as of fires that the consciousness came upon me this is john harmon drowning john harmon struggle for your life john harmon call on heaven and save yourself i think i cried it aloud in a great agony and then a heavy horrid unintelligible something vanished and it was i who was struggling there alone in the water i was very weak and faint frightfully oppressed with drowsiness and driving fast with the tide looking over the black water i saw the lights racing past me on the two banks of the river as if they were eager to be gone and leave me dying on the bank the tide was running down but i knew nothing of up or down then when guiding myself safely with heaven's assistance before the fierce set of the water i at last caught at a boat moored one of the tier of boats at a causeway i was sucked under her and came up only just alive on the other side was i long in the water long enough to be chilled to the heart but i don't know how long yet the cold was merciful for it was the cold night air and the rain that restored me from a swoon on the stones of the causeway they naturally supposed me to have toppled in drunk when i crept to the public-house it belonged to for i had no notion where i was and could not articulate through the poison that had made me insensible having affected my speech and i supposed the night to be the previous night as it was still dark and raining but i had lost twenty-four hours i have checked the calculation often and it must have been two nights that i lay recovering in that public-house let me see yes i am sure it was while i lay in that bed there that the thought entered my head of turning the danger i had passed through to the account of being for some time supposed to have disappeared mysteriously and approving bella the dread of our being forced on one another and perpetuating the fate that seemed to have fallen on my father's riches the fate that they should lead to nothing but evil was strong upon the moral timidity that dates from my childhood with my poor sister 
as to this hour i cannot understand that side of the river where i recovered the shore being the opposite side to that on which i was ensnared i shall never understand it now even at this moment while i leave the river behind me going home i cannot conceive that it rolls between me and that spot or that the sea is where it is but this is not thinking it out this is making a leap to the present time i could not have done it but for the fortune in the waterproof belt around my body not a great fortune forty and odd pounds for the inheritor of a hundred and odd thousand but it was enough without it i must have disclosed myself without it i could never have gone to the exchequer coffee-house or taken mrs wilfer's lodgings some twelve days i lived at that hotel before the night when i saw the corpse of radfoot at the police station the inexpressible mental horror that i laboured under as one of the consequences of the poison makes the interval seem greatly longer but i know it cannot have been longer that suffering has gradually weakened and weakened since and has only come upon me by starts and i hope i am free from it now but even now i have sometimes to think constrain myself and stop before speaking or i could not say the words i want to say again i ramble away from thinking it out to the end it is not so far to the end that i need to be tempted to break off now on straight i examined the newspapers every day for tidings that i was missing but saw none going out that night to walk for i kept retired while it was light i found a crowd assembled round a placard posted at whitehall it described myself john harmon as found dead and mutilated in the river under circumstances of strong suspicion described my dress described the papers in my pockets and stated where i was lying for recognition in a wild incautious way i hurried there and there with the horror of the death i had escaped before my eyes in its most appalling shape added to the inconceivable horror tormenting me at that time when the poisonous stuff was strongest on me i perceived that radfoot had been murdered by some unknown hands for the money for which he would have murdered me and that probably we had both been shot into the river from the same dark place into the same dark tide when the stream ran deep and strong that night i almost gave up my mystery though i suspected no one could offer no information knew absolutely nothing save that the murdered man was not i but radfoot next day while i hesitated and next day while i hesitated it seemed as if the whole country were determined to have me dead the inquest declared me dead the government proclaimed me dead i could not listen at my fireside for five minutes to the outer noises but it was borne into my ears that i was dead so john harmon died and julius hanford disappeared and john rokesmith was born john rokesmith's intent to-night has been to repair a wrong that he could never have imagined possible coming to his ears through the lightwood talk related to him and which he is bound by every consideration to remedy in that intent john rokesmith will persevere as his duty is now is it all thought out all to this time nothing omitted no nothing but beyond this time to think it out through the future is a harder though a much shorter task than to think it out through the past john harmon is dead should john harmon come to life if yes why if no why take yes first to enlighten human justice concerning the offence of one far beyond it who may have a living mother to enlighten it with the lights of a stone passage a flight of stairs a brown window curtain and a black man 
to come into possession of my father's money and with it sordidly to buy a beautiful creature whom i love i cannot help it reason has nothing to do with it i love her against reason but who would as soon love me for my own sake as she would love the beggar at the corner what a use for the money and how worthy of its old misuses now take no the reasons why john harmon should not come to life because he has passively allowed these dear old faithful friends to pass into possession of the property because he sees them happy with it making a good use of it effacing the old rust and tarnish on the money because they have virtually adopted bella and will provide for her because there is affection enough in their nature and warmth enough in her heart to develop into something enduringly good under favourable conditions because her faults have been intensified by her place in my father's will and she is already growing better because her marriage with john harmon after what i have heard from her own lips would be a shocking mockery of which both she and i must always be conscious and which would degrade her in her mind and me in mine and each of us in the others because if john harmon comes to life and does not marry her the property falls into the very hands that hold it now what would i have dead i have found the true friends of my lifetime still as true as tender and as faithful as when i was alive and making my memory an incentive to good actions done in my name dead i have found them when they might have slighted my name and passed greedily over my grave to ease and wealth lingering by the way like single-hearted children to recall their love for me when i was a poor frightened child dead i have heard from the woman who would have been my wife if i had lived the revolting truth that i should have purchased her caring nothing for me as a sultan buys a slave what would i have if the dead could know or do know how the living use them who among the hosts of the dead has found a more disinterested fidelity on earth than i is not that enough for me if i had come back these noble creatures would have welcomed me wept over me given up everything to me with joy i did not come back and they have passed unspoiled into my place let them rest in it and let bella rest in hers what course for me then this to live the same quiet secretary life carefully avoiding chances of recognition until they shall have become more accustomed to their altered state and until the great swarm of swindlers under many names shall have found newer prey by that time the method i am establishing through all the affairs and with which i will every day take new pains to make them both familiar will be i may hope a machine in which such working order as that they can keep it going i know i need but ask of their generosity to have when the right time comes i will ask no more than will replace me in my former path of life and john rokesmith shall tread it as contentedly as he may but john harmon shall come back no more that i may never in the days to come afar off have any weak misgiving that bella might in any contingency have taken me for my own sake if i had plainly asked her i will plainly ask her proving beyond all question what i already know too well and now it is all thought out from the beginning to the end and my mind is easier so deeply engaged had the living dead man been in thus communing with himself that he had regarded neither the wind nor the way and had resisted the former instinctively as he had pursued the latter but being now come into the city where there was a coach stand he stood irresolute whether to go to his lodgings or to go first to mr boffin's house 
he decided to go round by the house arguing as he carried his overcoat upon his arm that it was less likely to attract notice if left there than if taken to holloway both mrs wilfer and miss lavinia being ravenously curious touching every article of which the lodger stood possessed arriving at the house he found that mr and mrs boffin were out but that miss wilfer was in the drawing-room miss wilfer had remained at home in consequence of not feeling very well and had inquired in the evening if mr rokesmith were in his room make my compliments to miss wilfer and say i am here now miss wilfer's compliments came down in return and if it were not too much trouble would mr rokesmith be so kind as to come up before he went it was not too much trouble and mr rokesmith came up oh she looked very pretty she looked very very pretty if the father of the late john harmon had but left his money unconditionally to his son and if his son had but lighted on this lovable girl for himself and had the happiness to make her loving as well as lovable dear me are you not well mr rokesmith yes quite well i was sorry to hear when i came in that you were not a mere nothing i had a headache gone now and was not quite fit for a hot theatre so i stayed at home i asked you if you were not well because you looked so white do i i have had a busy evening she was on a low ottoman before the fire with a little shining jewel of a table and her book and her work beside her ah what a different life the late john harmon's if it had been his happy privilege to take his place upon that ottoman and draw his arm about that waist and say i hope the time has been long without me what a home goddess you look my darling but the present john rokesmith far removed from the late john harmon remained standing at a distance a little distance in respect of space but a great distance in respect of separation mr rokesmith said bella taking up her work and inspecting it all round the corners i wanted to say something to you when i could have the opportunity as an explanation why i was rude to you the other day you have no right to think ill of me sir the sharp little way in which she darted a look at him half sensitively injured half pettishly would have been very much admired by the late john harmon you don't know how well i think of you miss wilfer truly you must have a very high opinion of me mr rokesmith when you believe that in prosperity i neglect and forget my old home do i believe so you did sir at any rate returned bella i took the liberty of reminding you of a little omission into which you had fallen insensibly and naturally fallen it was no more than that and i begged leave to ask you mr rokesmith said bella why you took that liberty i hope there is no offence in the phrase it is your own remember because i am truly deeply profoundly interested in you miss wilfer because i wish to see you always at your best because i shall i go on no sir returned bella with a burning face you have said more than enough i beg that you will not go on if you have any generosity any honour you will say no more the late john harmon looking at the proud face with the downcast eyes and at the quick breathing as it stirred the fall of bright brown hair over the beautiful neck would probably have remained silent i wish to speak to you sir said bella once for all and i don't know how to do it i have sat here all this evening wishing to speak to you and determining to speak to you and feeling that i must i beg for a moment's time he remained silent and she remained with her face averted sometimes making a slight movement as if she would turn to speak at length she did so 
you know how i am situated here sir and you know how i am situated at home i must speak to you for myself since there is no one about me whom i could ask to do so it is not generous in you it is not honourable in you to conduct yourself towards me as you do is it ungenerous or dishonourable to be devoted to you fascinated by you preposterous said bella the late john harmon might have thought it rather a contemptuous and lofty word of repudiation i now feel obliged to go on pursued the secretary though it were only in self-explanation and self-defence i hope miss wilfer that it is not unpardonable even in me to make an honest declaration of an honest devotion to you an honest declaration repeated bella with emphasis is it otherwise i must request sir said bella taking refuge in a touch of timely resentment that i may not be questioned you must excuse me if i decline to be cross-examined oh miss wilfer this is hardly charitable i ask you nothing but what your own emphasis suggests however i waive even that question but what i have declared i take my stand by i cannot recall the avowal of my earnest and deep attachment to you and i do not recall it i reject it sir said bella i should be blind and deaf if i were not prepared for the reply forgive my offence for it carries its punishment with it what punishment asked bella is my present endurance none but excuse me i did not mean to cross-examine you again you take advantage of a hasty word of mine said bella with a little sting of self-reproach to make me seem i don't know what i spoke without consideration when i used it if that was bad i am sorry but you repeat it after consideration and that seems to me to be at least no better for the rest i beg it may be understood mr rokesmith that there is an end of this between us now and for ever now and for ever he repeated yes i appeal to you sir proceeded bella with increasing spirit not to pursue me i appeal to you not to take advantage of your position in this house to make my position in it distressing and disagreeable i appeal to you to discontinue your habit of making your misplaced attentions as plain to mrs boffin as to me have i done so i should think you have replied bella in any case it is not your fault if you have not mr rokesmith i hope you are wrong in that impression i should be very sorry to have justified it i think i have not for the future there is no apprehension it is all over i am much relieved to hear it said bella i have far other views in life and why should you waste your own mine said the secretary my life his curious tone caused bella to glance at the curious smile with which he said it it was gone as he glanced back pardon me miss wilfer he proceeded when their eyes met you have used some hard words for which i do not doubt you have a justification in your mind that i do not understand ungenerous and dishonourable in what i would rather not be asked said bella haughtily looking down i would rather not ask but the question is imposed upon me kindly explain or if not kindly justly oh sir said bella raising her eyes to his after a little struggle to forbear is it generous and honourable to use the power here which your favour with mr and mrs boffin and your ability and your place give you against me against you is it generous and honourable to form a plan for gradually bringing their influence to bear upon a suit which i have shown you that i do not like and which i tell you that i utterly reject the late john harmon could have borne a good deal but he would have been cut to the heart by such a suspicion as this 
would it be generous and honourable to step into your place if you did so for i don't know that you did and i hope you did not anticipating or knowing beforehand that i should come here and designing to take me at this disadvantage this mean and cruel disadvantage said the secretary yes assented bella the secretary kept silence for a little while then merely said you are wholly mistaken miss wilfer wonderfully mistaken i cannot say however that it is your fault if i deserve better things of you you do not know it at least sir retorted bella with her old indignation rising you know the history of my being here at all i have heard mr boffin say that you are master of every line and word of that will as you are master of all his affairs and was it not enough that i should have been willed away like a horse or a dog or a bird but must you too begin to dispose of me in your mind and speculate in me as soon as i had ceased to be the talk and laugh of the town am i forever to be made the property of strangers believe me returned the secretary you are wonderfully mistaken i should be glad to know it answered bella i doubt if you ever will good-night of course i shall be careful to conceal any traces of this interview from mr and mrs boffin as long as i remain here trust me what you have complained of is at an end for ever i am glad i have spoken then mr rokesmith it has been painful and difficult but it is done if i have hurt you i hope you will forgive me i am inexperienced and impetuous and i have been a little spoilt but i really am not as bad as i dare say i appear or as you think me he quitted the room when bella had said this relenting in her wilful inconsistent way left alone she threw herself back on her ottoman and said i didn't know the lovely woman was such a dragon then she got up and looked in the glass and said to her image you have been positively swelling your features you little fool then she took an impatient walk to the other end of the room and back and said i wish pa was here to have a talk about an avaricious marriage but he is better away poor dear for i know i should pull his hair if he was here and then she threw her work away and threw her book after it and sat down and hummed a tune and hummed it out of tune and quarrelled with it and john rokesmith what did he he went down to his room and buried john harmon many additional fathoms deep he took his hat and walked out and as he went to holloway or anywhere else not at all minding where heaped mounds upon mounds of earth over john harmon's grave his walking did not bring him home until the dawn of day and so busy had he been all night piling and piling weights upon weights of earth above john harmon's grave that by that time john harmon lay buried under a whole alpine range and still the sexton rokesmith accumulated mountains over him lightening his labor with the dirge cover him crush him keep him down end of section thirty of our mutual friend by charles dickens read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com